This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles curbside pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles On the Beat show. Really looking forward to tonight's broadcast. I think you're really going to enjoy it. We've got Jeremy Pruitt coming up the second half of the show. Talk about all the action last week and give you some insight into what's going on in Georgia, what Kirby Smart and the Bulldogs might be thinking before they go to South Carolina and why he believes Georgia actually caught a break with the scheduling of this game. And we'll talk about that later. But today, the big news, of course, A.D. Mitchell out for Georgia. We don't know how long uh, Georgia's ex-receiver, he's that primary receiver on the right side, stepped in last year. But George Pickens out did a a tremendous job. Of course, everybody remembers A.D.'s Fantastic 41-yard touchdown catch in the national championship game uh, against Alabama. And he went out. You saw him go skipping off the field on an ankle early on the very first offensive series against Sanford. Kirby said at the time he thought he could go back in, but today Smart says, no, not going to practice Monday. Let's wait and see on A.D. Mitchell. You know, this strikes me as the kind of injury where if you can hold A.D. Mitchell out, hold him out, keep him out this game, and then keep him out against Kent State. You know, give that ankle time to recover. Guys can and do oftentimes play on ankles, but they require treatment and they never quite get all the way back. One good thing about this Georgia football schedule, it's very forgiving when you take a look at it. The dog's probably not going to face another four-quarter challenge or a four-quarter challenge, maybe till Florida, if that. You know, it's really that November schedule with Tennessee and Mississippi State And Kentucky, to me, that's kind of the murderer's row. Kentucky, Tennessee, Mississippi State, Kentucky, that to me is the big stretch. This front end, you know, you've got at South Carolina, and I think this game could be interesting for two or three quarters, but I think Georgia's too much. But after this, you have Kent State at home, and then I believe it's a trip to Missouri, uh, and then I believe Auburn comes here, and then Vanderbilt comes here, and then you get a week off. So very forgiving schedule, but A.D. Mitchell – uh, that is a name uh, to keep in mind. A talented receiver, probably not going to play this week. We'll, we'll find out more on that later. We did see Jackson Meeks and, and Dylan Belbos stepped up. I wrote about Jackson Meeks today on dognation.com. You can check that out. He was one of the players that really impressed me. thought it was interesting today. Kirby was asked about the identity of the team, and talked about the offensive line, and all of the different receivers in the physicality, right? It's always a, a major thing for Georgia football, physicality. So Kirby Smart starting to get a bit of an idea of the identity of the team, experienced quarterback, offensive line, and the ability to spread it out. You had 11 different receivers catch the ball this last week against Sanford. You had 10 different receivers catch the ball against Oregon. So a lot of people ask me, well, who's the go-to guy? And I try to explain to him what Kirby explains to us, that that's kind of up to the defense, right? If you're going to double cover Brock Bowers, then there's only one guy on Darnell Washington, and good luck. Or there's only one guy on Lad McConkey, Or maybe nobody's paying attention to Kenny McIntosh. So far, Kenny leads the team with 14 receptions in two games, and that's because of the way teams have adjusted how they're trying to stop Georgia. Now they realize they have to do more on Brock Bowers. They don't want those receivers to get behind them. And that creates the space for Kenny McIntosh to do some very special things in the open field. Kirby also talked about the run game. Yes, it was important to get Kendall Milton going downhill. Very talented running back. 
very high ceiling. Kendall, though, has kind of been in the garage, just like Kenny. These guys have kind of been garaged. And, and Zamir and Cook did a nice job. You've heard me. I, I've certainly been a proponent that I think Kenny and Kendall last year, you know, could have had great success. But so much talent here and seniority kind of played out with Tell McGee, I believe. Bottom line, you got two healthy, hungry guys that have been in the program for three or four years with that man strength, right? That's why when the freshman Branson Robinson was coming, everybody's like, oh, he's so strong. He's so this, he's so that. And I'm thinking, not compared to guys that have been in this UGA strength and conditioning program for three and four years. You just can't compete with that, with the type of diet these guys are on and certainly the job that Scott Sinclair does over there. I mean, you give those guys two or three years and they can they, they turn these guys into, you know, hulks. They come in as great athletes. And they leave even better, as we've seen with, what, 48 guys on NFL rosters. Kenny, uh, Kenny uh, again, a dangerous option on the perimeter, can also run the football just like Kendall. These guys are both very versatile. Kirby today talked about Spencer Rattler. Now, you noticed last weekend I went to Fayetteville, Arkansas, for that football game. Didn't tell anybody I was going to do it. Kind of wanted to get out there and maybe get a scouting report. What did South Carolina look like? I mean, let's be honest. We knew Georgia was going to beat Sanford. It was just whatever score, however Kirby wanted to do it. I know it was 33. You know, he says they tried. I just think he could have scored 60 or 70 if he really wanted to. But he worked on the things that he needed to. Won the football game. Came out of there with just that one injury. Meanwhile, I was in Arkansas to get an up-close look and feel for South Carolina. I thought to myself, you know, this is going to be more valuable to Dog Nation. You might have saw me on the pregame show with Brandon Adams. Um, I like to do that a little bit. What I came away with was this. Spencer Rattler is ultra talented. He is so good. And I know people will look at the statistics and go, oh, what are you talking about? Stetson's got better numbers than this guy or so-and-so. Forget the numbers, okay? Sam Pittman said it best. So much of who and what a quarterback is is the players around him. Spencer Rattler doesn't have a supporting cast like we see at Georgia, or like Bryce Young even has at Alabama. And he has to do more on his own. There's more placed on his shoulders. But you watch this guy play, and I'm going to tell you, the physical attributes jump out. I mean, this guy is an athlete. Kirby said today he can throw the ball 70 yards in the air, and, and Kirby said that himself, said he had incredible arm strength. You don't hear Kirby Smart use adjectives like that very often. Kirby talked about the athleticism. So I, I, it wasn't a mirage. I thought Spencer Rattler was the most talented player in Razorback Stadium. And that's nothing against Arkansas. I think a lot of Arkansas and their quarterback and their great running back. Sam Pittman's done a remarkable job, did a column on that. The Kirby Bowl wrote that story about Shane Beamer and Sam playing in the game with Kirby assistance. Very special moment for George, I thought. Saw Latavius Brainy and Matt Landers, a couple dogs, stand up and make big plays for the Hogs to win that game. Another tribute to the talent and development that takes place here. And as I said, the Arkansas fans need to be right in Georgia. Thank you, Note. Who knows? Maybe we'll see Georgia play Arkansas in the SEC. It doesn't seem so far-fetched after what happened between Alabama and Texas. But, again, the takeaway, Spencer Rattler, this guy is good enough to beat anybody on a given Saturday if you don't take care of business. Now, that said, I don't think South Carolina can match up. They lost two more starters to injury in that game against Arkansas uh, linebackers, and, and that's going to just be really costly. I think that's a winning edge for Georgia. Georgia should be able to run the ball. Georgia should be able to play play action. I think you'll see Stetson Bennett put up a lot of points 
Todd Munkin put up a lot of points. It is a noon kickoff. Kirby's had a couple losses in noon kickoffs. It's been a minute. Uh, 2019, right here, we saw South Carolina in a noon kickoff. Unranked South Carolina and Will Muschamp beat a Georgia football team that particular day. A very difficult loss for the dogs there in 2019. The only time in Sanford Stadium history that a top five Georgia team has lost to an unranked opponent. South Carolina three years ago. A lot's happened since then, right? The next year, Muschamp and and Mike Bobo combined to go two and eight. Uh, Muschamp gets fired. Bobo gets hired. You know, Kirby takes his foot off the gas. They still win dominant fashion in South Carolina. And then Beamer comes in. And Shane goes seven and six last year with four different starting quarterbacks. South Carolina won games with four different starting quarterbacks last year. That's remarkable. They addressed that with Spencer Rattler. I do think South Carolina is improved. They've got really good wide receivers. They've got big play potential. Kirby's aware of that. He's going to have the dogs on guard. I think Shane's response is going to be to try and run the ball. But if the dogs are scoring points, then South Carolina is not going to be able to be patient. How long can that Williams-Brice Stadium keep South Carolina in the game? That's my question. I don't know what it's going to be like. It's going to be a new kickoff. It's going to be very, very interesting. Talk with Cedric Van Pran today about the noise there. He said that can be a factor, but Georgia works really hard on that. And I'll say this, in my four, now fifth year covering Georgia, I haven't really seen noise be a factor with the Georgia snap count. Whatever Kirby's doing to prepare his teams, I think they're ready. Smell Munden brought him out today. He compared playing against Spencer Rattler a little bit to Bo Nix, both athletic guys that can extend plays. I think Rattler is a level up from Bo Nix in terms of arm talent, his ability to get through progressions. And I like Bo Nix, but I think Spencer Rattler, I think he could be an NFL quarterback depending on how he develops mentally. Um, Shane Beamer talked about that game plan against Arkansas when they threw the ball so much. He mentioned that Arkansas had some injuries in the secondary, and that's just where the matchup was. And the Gamecocks did a nice job coming from behind. I mean, they are a, a game team, really. They, they truly are. There's a lot of enthusiasm there. There's a lot of excitement there. Uh, and, and I think I, I like what Shane Beamer is doing, but I just don't think catching Georgia right now is going to be good for his football team. I think this is a game that Georgia probably wins going away. The line on this game is 24 Man, that seems like a lot. Uh, you know, for entertainment purposes only, I still, I'm still not exactly sure uh, how I'm going to pick that game. You know, we do a show Friday night with Brandon Adams called Go With The Flow. I'll probably wait till Friday night uh, to, to pick that game because 24 and a half is a lot of points. I'm going to have to give that uh, a lot of thought. You know, I want to share a few thoughts before I bring Coach Pruitt on here. And I'm going to ask Jeremy his thoughts on Alabama, Texas, Texas A&M and Tennessee and and certainly the Georgia-South Carolina game. Uh, but say this, how remarkable is it that Georgia is number one? I know in the coaches' poll, Bama's one, but in the Associated Press poll, the writers' poll, the media poll, the dogs are number one, as they should be. I mean, Alabama did not look good. They struggled to run the football against Texas. You know, you, you saw Jameer Gibbs. I think he had 22 yards. I mean, that to me was the shocker that Georgia could – or excuse me, that Alabama could not run the ball more effectively. You know, uh, Jace McCallan had that 81-yard touchdown run, but you take that run away, and Bama, 23 carries for 80 yards. I mean, that's just – you just don't see Bama teams that can't run the ball and dictate the run. You hear Kirby talking about how important it is. Oh, it's, it's games like this. 11 first-half penalties for Alabama in that game at Texas. You don't see that 
Bryce Young, 27 to 39, but only 213 yards passing. Um, boy, that would have been a tough loss for Bama. They have not lost a non-conference regular season game since 2007 against Louisiana Monroe. Kirby Smart and Jeremy Pruitt were on that Saban staff. So, uh, very, wait a minute, was, Jer- was, was, was Kirby on that staff in 07? Yeah, I think he, he was. He was because he was here at Georgia, I believe, in 05 or 06 under Rick. So, Kirby was there on that staff, as was Jeremy Pruitt. Been a long time, uh, but Bama escaped at the end of the day. That's all that matters. And as for Appalachian State over AM, I mean, this game, you look at it, you see 17 14. AM held the ball for more than 41 minutes out of 60 minutes. Ball control, able to run the ball effectively. How in the world do you say to yourself, could a Texas AM team be outmuscled by Appalachian State? It was a veteran team. I think AM needs to make a quarterback change. I like Max Johnson, not just because he's from Oconee County, not just because I saw what he did in the swamp when he took down Kyle Trask and the Gators. I just think he's a good quarterback. The Haynes King guy, I get it. He was there before. He was the incumbent. He got injured. Uh, but, man, if I'm Jimbo Fisher, I'm going to have both of those quarterbacks ready to play against Miami, and that's going to be a prime-time matchup on Saturday night. And you just got to wonder about Jeremy – or, excuse me, you got to wonder about Jimbo Fisher. If they lose to Miami at home, um, you almost wonder if, if, if it's a hot seat situation. You're paying this guy this much money. On the flip side, I have not looked at the buyout numbers, but I guarantee you Jimmy Sexton, he writes these contracts up tight, it would be probably tens of millions of dollars. So I can't see a change coming, unlike Nebraska, which fired Scott Frost after only three games. And had they waited a, a few more weeks, they could have saved $8 million on the buyout. They were so eager to get rid of him. that And, and, and good for Scott Frost, by the way. If you're going to get fired, you might as well get an extra $8 million and. You know, okay, so you don't coach three more games. If you're going to get fired, you're going to get fired. Um, you know, but the question is, you know, why wouldn't you just have fired him after last year if one and two starts enough to, to get him fired? So, you know, a lot of emotions going on out there at Nebraska probably. Um, we'll see what the Cornhuskers do. Certainly one of the more proud and traditional programs in college football. I don't think any of us uh, saw that coming, nor did we see Notre Dame losing to Marshall. Another surprise. I mean, this is – you know, it's a reminder. Talk to Kirby Smart about it today. And he said, hey, man, that's just college football. You know, any given Saturday, this can happen. And, you know, you better believe the dogs know that. Uh, but here they are, number one after losing 15 players in the NFL draft. I know the Georgia fans say, well, that's such a tiresome thing. Why do you keep bringing it up? And the answer is because it's remarkable that your football program has been able to maintain this level of success. Typically, when teams lose 15 guys to the NFL, by the way, nobody's ever done that, but even 10, 12, 8, 9, you go, well, there's a lot of reloading, a lot of rebuilding. It just says a lot for the job that Kirby Smart's done in terms of building an infrastructure that can sustain that sort of turnover. I mean, that's exactly what every program wants, and Georgia is riding that right now. As good as any program in college football, I would argue that Kirby Smart, as good as any coach in college football. And yes, I know that includes Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney, proven multiple national championship winners. But right now, Kirby and his staff have really got it going on. They want to keep that going on. They're going to need to perform well against South Carolina. I want to take a moment right now and recognize our sponsor, Ingles. You know, without Ingles, we wouldn't be able to do this show. And certainly without Ingles, it would have been a lot more difficult to get through that pandemic. And I know you remember, you know what I'm talking about, how hard it was and how challenging it was and the fear and just in terms of simple things that suddenly 
we're concerned. Would we be able to get supplies, food to feed our family? And, and yet Ingalls was there, frontline workers serving us through the most difficult time in modern era history. Really appreciate the Ingalls sponsorship and really appreciate the way Ingalls served uh, in those difficult times and, and right into today. Coming up after this spot with Ingalls, we'll have Jeremy Pruitt. Stay with us. It's in our hearts to feel for There's been ups and downs, turnarounds, there's good days and some bad. But we stand together for worse and for better. We'll always have your back. Well, welcome back. And as promised, Jeremy Pruitt joins us. And coach, I really appreciate you back uh, here to break down some SEC action and talk some Georgia football. Obviously, you're very familiar with the, the stadium in my background. I haven't spent a couple of years here yourself as a defensive coordinator under Mark Rick. Been here as an opponent as well. Uh, I want to ask you about the Georgia Sanford game. 33 to 0 is what the scoreboard says. The dogs only scored three points in the second half. They shortened the fourth quarter to 12 minutes. First of all, how different does a coach approach an FCS game like that than maybe they would an SEC game? Well, I can tell you um, from the staffs that I've worked on, you're, you're not going to approach them any different. Uh, when you look at FCS teams compared to um, the, the FBS teams, you know, you can only put 11 players out there at a time. Uh, and really the difference in the programs is the, is the depth, uh, maybe the, the talent gap the first 11 is probably not as much uh, as some people may expect. Uh, so you, you got to be ready to play any given Saturday. Uh, and, you know, I think we saw it this past week. But before we move on, what about uh, Glenn Schumann and Will Muschamp and the Georgia defense losing all those starters and just the two, two college football games and, and not giving up a touchdown in two weeks? Uh, that's hard to do at any point in time, especially in 2022. Yeah, pretty remarkable, Coach, when they lose five first-rounders and eight picks off of that defense, guys at every level. And to your point, just a great game plan against Oregon and certainly against Sanford, they dig in. And, and I understand the prep is the same. Let me ask you about m roster management in a game like that in terms of, I don't want to say pulling the plug because you're still playing football, but how important is it and how valuable is it to be able to get so many of those young players game action well, I think the, the most important thing is winning the game, you know, going in there and and uh, having a plan to be able to play your best players. Uh, and then the worst thing you can do is is have some kind of preconceived notion that, hey, this is not going to be a tough game. Uh, and unfortunately, if you've been in the business long enough, uh, you're probably going to be on the wrong side of these at some point in time. The the best coach in college football, football right now, Coach Saban, uh, he lost to UAB when he was at LSU, LSU and uh, and me and Kirby were on his staff at Alabama when we lost to Louisiana Monroe. So it happens to the best coaches out there. So um, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned for the players uh, that you have to be prepared uh, every Saturday, and you have to put the pre preparation in each week. But it also, if you handle your business, it does give you an opportunity for other guys to get a chance to play. I want to kind of catch up around the SEC of the games you saw last week, kind of get your takeaways on Alabama going to Texas. This is a game a lot of us in the national media just, you know, we give Alabama 
you know, they'll beat everybody by 21 points. We come to expect that from the Crimson Tide. Steve Sarkeesian, not such a great start last year with the Longhorns. And yet still it took Bryce Young with another magician act in the final moments to bring the tide back. Alabama not able to run the ball effectively. 11 penalties in the first half. I mean, as you're watching that game and seeing it unfold at Texas, you've been on the sideline and with Saban and through those games. And as yourself as a head coach, I mean, what happened in Austin, Texas? Well, first of all, let me tell you, when you're in this business, you never apologize for winning. You know, so Alabama went on the road and beat Texas, um, and it's a win. So you never apologize for a win, but were they at their best? Probably not. Uh, you have to give Texas credit, especially defensively. Uh, they mixed up the looks, mixed up the fronts, uh, gave up a couple of explosive plays early. Um, I also believe that you look, Alabama had two of their uh, – top wide receivers coming out of camp um, that didn't participate. And it goes to show you uh, even the best programs across the country, if they lose playmakers, it, it, you just don't, you just don't have another one that you can run out there. I'm sure they've got guys that are plenty talented, but it takes some game experience to be able to produce. Yeah. Speaking of which we see Texas A&M with an awful loss to Appalachian state. And I know Appy State is a good football team. I get that. I know they're on scholarship, too. I know they're well coached. I know they gave a game effort against North Carolina. But, my goodness, you see this Haynes King quarterback. He, he doesn't even hit 100 yards passing in his home stadium. They don't complete any passes longer than 20 yards. If you're Jimbo Fisher right now, you're only two games in. But, you know, you got that Max Johnson transfer to LSU. You've been in that sticky situation, Coach. How do you know when it's time to change quarterbacks? And where does AM go from here when they've got the Miami Hurricanes coming in this week? Well, one of the toughest things about being a quarterback is, is when, well, one of the great things is when you win, uh, everybody's patting you on the back. You know, when you lose, everybody looks to the quarterback. You know, there's, there's 11 guys out there on offense. And uh, for an offense to be productive, it takes five offensive linemen to work together. It takes wide receivers running the correct routes, running backs in protection. So, um, you know, is it all Haynes King? I would probably say it's not. Jimbo and his staff, they'll get it figured out. Um, they're good coaches, but you got to give App State credit. Uh, and this is not their first time. Uh, you, you look over the course of a lot of different coaching staffs that have stayed over the years. It's had the ability. It's just a great program, a very competitive program that has lots of pride in what they do. And uh, they're dangerous on anybody's schedule. Yeah, it can make all the difference in the world. And, and I'll tell you, you know, last week we were talking to you about the Florida-Kentucky game at the Swamp. Everybody's sky high on the Gators. They vaulted all the way from unranked to number 12. And you said on this show, hey, Kentucky in one score games, number one. And number two, you predicted correctly, Florida was going to have a hard time scoring on this Kentucky defense. You saw that football game. You watched Anthony Richardson kind of come unraveled. How did Kentucky do that? And what does it say about Mark Stoops to go in there and, and win a game like that in that environment? Well, I believe it just uh, kind of attests to the culture that uh, Coach Stoops and his staff have built over the last 10 years. Uh, the, the players, you know, graduate and move on, but it's that culture, that hard nose, uh, you know, Mark has an edge about him. Uh, he's a very good football coach and the, and, and they always seem to find a way to, to keep, 
all the games that they're in down to one scores and they're always battling. So they've been there and done that before. It's something that, uh, you know, Florida and, and Coach Napier and his staff, um, they'll have to learn to do and, in, in, you know, over the course of the next few years. Yeah, no doubt. They don't have much time to recover with South Florida coming to the stadium. Before we get to the Georgia-South Carolina preview, I want to ask you about this game, Mississippi State at LSU. This is intriguing because Mike Leach, a very unique coach with what he does on offense, certainly a celebrated figure. Bulldogs off to a great start, a veteran unit. But they're going to LSU, and that's a stadium you've been in a lot. Uh, how much of a factor is Tiger Stadium? And what are your thoughts on that Mississippi State at LSU game as Brian Kelly now in game three, a little momentum after a big win uh, over Southern? I see the pressure the pressure on LSU. Uh, I believe uh, Mississippi State has a good football team. Everybody talks about them offensively, but I think they have one of the better defensive staffs in the country. Uh, they're sneaky good, and they're a little bit unorthodox on defense. I look for Mississippi State to go into to Baton Rouge and get a win. And then there's a game in Atlanta, Jeremy, that I want to ask you about. Lane Kiffin and Old Miss, of course, you had an opportunity to coach with Lane. They play Georgia Tech, and I know that Old Miss is a heavy favorite, but a, a pretty major reload for Lane and Old Miss this year, a new quarterback in Jackson Dart. And we saw Georgia Tech with some fight against Clemson for a few quarters earlier this year. What are your thoughts on that game? You know, I like I like Ole Miss. Uh, Lane's going to score a lot of points. He's a great play caller. He brought in a lot of transfers. They're playing better defensively. There's there's a lot of momentum with that program. But I do see uh, Jeff Collins and his staff. I saw some promise in the first game, especially offensively. You know, Chip Long has come in and is a new hire there, a guy that um, I believe can uh, – put them in the right position on offense to have a chance to score some points. And if you look what Jeff's doing, you know, uh, replacing Paul Johnson, who done a fantastic job while he was there, but it's a, it's a complete uh, kind of uh, start over rehaul, whatever you want to call it uh, offensively, you know, changing the type of personnel. So it's going to take them a little bit of time. I know uh, everybody runs out of patience in about three to five years right now in college football. But look at Mark Stoops at what he's doing at Kentucky. I think this is his 10th year, uh, and it took him some time to get it the way he wanted. So I think we got to have a little patience with Jeff Collins and see how this season sh- uh, shapes out. Yeah, pretty big game last week in Pittsburgh. Tennessee, as you predicted, able to outscore Pitt on the road, a very good Pat Narduzzi football team. Now the Vols come home and play Akron. And again, you told us earlier in the segment, you never look at these games with any sort of predisposed idea that it's going to be a blowout. But if you're Tennessee, what are some of the things that you try to work on after a physical game like that against Pitt? Do you keep the throttle down against Akron or is it a little bit different because of the level of the opponent and maybe your game plan? Well, I think there's two things. You know, there was a, there was a, a muff punt, you know, so – I know they're replacing a, a punt returner. Velas Jones was a punt returner last year. So um, getting where they feel good about that position and they got a punt block. So uh, probably special teams. But I thought, you know, I said last week, my question was, can Tennessee win a 27 to 24 game? They did uh, and came up big defensively. So uh, and a lot of things didn't go their way. So there was a lot of fight there. And uh, I think um, I saw – uh, after the game, Coach Heupel talking about a lot of growth within the program. So uh, a lot of positives there in Knoxville. No doubt. And, of course, here 
Bringing it back here to Georgia, obviously a lot of positives here too, Jeremy. Georgia number one in the AP poll, Kirby said. He's a lot more worried about the blocking and the tackling than he is where they're ranked. But this week, the dogs go on the road. First road game of the year. First SEC road game of the year. So let me ask you about that component to it. Is that first SEC road game a, a tough game, a gut check for a team that hasn't played in that sort of environment yet this year? Well, I think if you look at Georgia offensively, that's probably where their veteran group is. Uh, you know, they probably have more experience back offensively. Uh, so th this, you know, they should be fine offensively. The thing that I want to watch is how they respond defensively because there's a lot of new folks on that side of the ball. I know that they, uh, they've got guys that have experience, but it will be the first time on the road. Um, I don't count Mercedes-Benz Stadium as being on the road when you're you're playing at Georgia, but uh, so it'll, it'll be interesting. And I think there's a challenge there with South Carolina. South Carolina has some playmakers offensively. They scored a lot of points last week against Arkansas. Uh, Spencer Rattler is a guy that's very dangerous. Uh, he has a lot of uh, playmaking ability. If he doesn't turn the ball over, um, they can put points on the board. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about a guy like Spencer Rattler. And I know some fans just look at the numbers, or they might just see the highlights. But I had a chance to watch this guy up close and personal last week at the Arkansas game, Jeremy. And listen, I came away impressed. I understand the hype now. I watched how this guy moved. I saw the athleticism. I saw the arm strength, how quickly he gets through his progressions. When you play a mobile guy with arm strength like that, and again, his arm strength and mobility is absolutely elite when it comes to college football. I'd put him in the top five in athletic skills and arm strength and all that. Don't know what's between the ear holes. I've never interviewed the guy. But when you watch this guy play, he is certainly capable. As a defensive coordinator and a head coach, you've done them both. Do you have to prepare a little bit differently knowing how dangerous that quarterback is that can have that mobility and arm strength and accuracy? I think, obviously, you, you've got to be aware of it. Uh, a guy that can make some plays with his feet. Uh, and really does have the arm talent to spread the ball around. But one thing Spencer Rattler has not faced, he's not faced a defense like Georgia's. So, uh, you know, it'll be a challenge for him too. Uh, the, to me, it, it'll be interesting. Can, can Georgia control him scrambling around, creating plays with a four-man rush, or will they need to heat him up with five and six? Uh, that To me, that will be interesting in this game, something that I'll be looking for. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of excitement in Columbia, South Carolina. Last question, noon kickoff. Kirby lost a few of these early, and he's made it a point to get these guys ready for the last few. But how tough can those noon kickoffs be for football players in general when they're used to these afternoon and night games? I'm going to tell you, as a coach, uh, when you went on the road in the SEC, if you, if you drew a noon kickoff, it, it, was, it was, to me, the, the visitor's advantage. Uh, it takes a long time for the home crowd to get involved. Hey, we've all, it, it doesn't matter where you go in the SEC. If it's 3.30 or later, uh, the home crowd's going to be in it. Uh, if it's before that, uh, you, 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 you got a break. So I think Georgia's caught a break on this because at South Carolina can be tough at night, but probably maybe not so much at noon. Yep, and we've seen that before. Really appreciate the wrap-up, Coach. Great information and insight as always. I can bring a unique and very experienced viewpoint to us. And I look forward to seeing you next Monday night. That'll do it for tonight's Ingles on the Beat show. Don't forget, Dog Nation Daily each day at 10 a.m. Jeff Centel on Wednesday nights. 
Look forward to seeing you guys on Friday night on Go With The Flow. This is Mike Griffith for Jeremy Pruitt. Have a great week, everybody.